All right, I have a really serious question to ask you as we begin our time together today. And it's something that's already been woven into our service. Have you ever felt like you've watched a dream die? Have you ever had a dream and then you watched it die? And then the hardest part of that is that somehow down deep inside you wondered if it really was God's fault that that dream died. You, you may have be familiar with our story, you may not be, but my wife and I, we met in Bible college, and so um, when we graduated from Bible college, we were young and naive, and we were ready to go tackle our first church and go change the world, and so we, we uh, took our, our uh, first position in Casper, Wyoming, and as I said, I was young and naive. I did not ask the right questions. <laughs> I had no idea that I was walking into a toxic situation that was impossible for me to succeed in. If I had asked the right questions, I would have found out that I was this pastor's sixth associate pastor that he had in the past three years. That everybody he had lasted six months, and then they were told they weren't good enough, and they moved on to their next assignment. I didn't ask the right questions and didn't know I was walking into an impossible situation, but I did, and our story was the same. Uh, from the get-go, we were told that we weren't good enough. And about six months in, we were told, ultimately, it's time for you to leave. We experienced the same thing that every other associate had experienced as well. That was devastating for me. First, first position right out of Bible college, and I felt like I failed. I felt like that I had this dream of just succeeding in ministry, and it was, I was already failing. We went on to our next assignment in Elk Run Heights, Iowa. How many of you know where Elk Run Heights is? A few of you do. It's right outside of Waterloo. Um, cute little town. We went there, and we were there for the next six and a half years. And we had a blast doing youth ministry. I had so much fun ministering to students. But about five years in, I remember holding my daughter, Elena, who's 15 now. I was holding her in my arms, a little bitty baby, and I was just reminiscing about youth ministry and about how great it was going, how awesome. And as clear as anything I've ever heard God say, God said, your time here is over. And I, I know when I hear from God, and I just begin to weep because I didn't want it to be over. We were loving what we were doing, and we were having so much fun. And I was realizing here again I had to lay down this. I felt like I was laying Isaac on the altar. And I said, okay, God, I'll follow you. And it took a while, it was about a year and a half later, through lots of transition that happened at our church, we, we left that church and we went on to our next place in Cedar Rapids. We were there for nine years, we loved being at that church, it was a dream come true for us in so many, so many different ways. And then through different situations and circumstances, God began to stir in my heart a call to lead a church. I thought it was that church there in Cedar Rapids. I was so convinced that that was the place I was going to lead, but it didn't happen. And again, I remember being so crushed and so devastated because I had this dream and I'm watching it die. And I felt like it was all God's fault. Have you been there? Have you been there in a place where you had a dream and you feel like you're watching it die and you feel like you're wondering where God's at? Because as Christians, we believe in a God who raises the dead. As Christians, we believe in a God who, who, who performs miracles and a God who answers prayer. But then we pray prayers and we ask God, we're watching a dream die in our life and we're wondering why and we're thinking that maybe it's God's fault. Have you received a doctor's report before that just crushed you? 
Have you looked at a bank account balance? Have you watched a marriage fall apart? Have you watched a relationship with your child grow cold and distant? Have you watched a friendship fall apart? We've all experienced hurt and pain. Every single one of us in this room, we've already seen dreams die. And what do we do in those moments? How do we reconcile that with our faith? A faith that says that I believe in a God who can move mountains. I believe in a God who literally resurrects the dead. How do we reconcile that with our faith? Because life hurts. It's painful. In fact, have you ever heard the analogy, death's door? They're on death's door. Have you ever heard that phrase before? No? Okay, maybe I just made it up. Well, I guess this whole analogy ain't going to work now. I don't know why I asked for a door. Have you ever feel like a dream that you had was <laughs> at death's door? Like it's just about to cross the threshold. It's, it's, it's on life support. It's on its last breath. Today we're going to talk about that. What do you do when you feel like a dream that you have is at death's door? What do you do with that? Because we're walking through a series today. Today is the second week in that series. It's called I Am Jesus and it's walking through the statements of Christ where he said those words, I am. And today we're looking at a story where he said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Everybody will say that with me. Say, I am the resurrection and the life. Then he goes on. He says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. Today we're going to look at a fascinating story, the context of why Jesus said what he said. And we're going to look at it from the perspective of three different people who found themselves at death's door. Three people whose dreams are dying. They are at death's door. What do they do in those moments? So first of all, we're going to give you the context for what Jesus is talking about. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to John chapter 11, you can follow along with the story. Typically, I read from the New Living Translation. Other times, I have other versions. I typically try to note that. Today, most of it's coming out of the NIV. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Look at what they say. Lord, the one you love is sick. They didn't say Lazarus was sick. They didn't say your buddy is sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. Obviously, Lazarus was a very close person to Jesus because that's how he described. And what's crazy to me is, is what we read in the next verse. Jesus does the unthinkable. Look at this next verse, or verses six and seven. He stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, I want to highlight for that for you for a reason, because each week I try to give you evidence Evidence for why I believe what you see recorded in those scriptures were eyewitness accounts. That this isn't some fairy tale that we're following. That these were things that were written down by eyewitnesses. And here's an example of this. Here, you know what it, this is called? This is called an embarrassing detail in the story. If you're wanting to make up a story about Jesus, how he's this loving, compassionate man who's worth following and giving your life for, you don't make up a story which includes... His best friend was dying, and he said, hey, I tell you what, I'll be there in a few days. Am I right? When you're telling a story, we're all tempted to fudge on some of the details. Okay? We do. It's called exaggeration. 
We try to make the story sound a little bit better than what it really was. And typically, almost all the time, we may even lie. And you know why we lie? We lie to do what? To make ourselves look better. Have you ever lied to make yourself look worse? Nobody? No, people don't do that, do they? So if they're making up a story, why would they include a detail that makes Jesus look really, really bad? Because I would think it was odd if I came to you with really urgent news. Your best friend is dying. They're in ICU. They're on life support. They're at death's door. And you said, cool, I'll be there in a few days. Who does that? I'm sorry, I don't mean to get off, but I think this is an important detail that we best not run past. He stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And so now, the first perspective, the first person that we're going to look at, the character that we find at death's door is an apostle by the name of Thomas. Thomas speaks up. The other disciples speak up because they find themselves in a difficult situation. See, here's the context that we don't understand. Look what they said. But his disciples objected, Rabbi, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? You can read about this in John chapter 8 where Jesus makes a statement that basically saying, I am God. The people get rocks out and they're about to stone him. And all it says was that Jesus hid himself. It's almost like super, something supernatural happened and Jesus disappears. They were literally there ready to kill him. And Jesus says, oh yeah, by the way, we're going to go back there. Okay? Let me give you an analogy. It would kind of be like you going to Ames right now wearing black and gold colors. <laughs> Saying, go Hawks! I'm sorry for some of my ISU fans. That one may hurt. I apologize. I just want to give you a good analogy. Really? Are you really going to go back there? Some of my non-sports people are like, what is he talking about? Just go on Facebook. You'll see all the details. And but look, look what Thomas said in next verse. I love this. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus. This sounds like a bad rap name. Thomas, a.k.a. Didymus, in the house, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. You don't hear the tone of voice. <laughs> Thomas is being quite sarcastic at this point. All right, here we go. We're going to die for Jesus. You know Thomas only speaks up three times in John? Three times. This is the first time we hear from Thomas. And that's his big line. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Let's go die with him. Three times Thomas speaks, and every single one of them echo his nickname. What is Thomas's nickname? Doubting Thomas. Wouldn't like you like that to be your name forever known through history? 2,000 years from now, you'll know you're known, you know. Doubting. Yeah, that guy. Doubting Thomas. Well, the reason for that, he speaks up three times, and every single time it's to confess doubt. Third time, he's most famous for. His disciples have seen the risen Jesus. And they go to Thomas and say, he's alive. And Thomas says, I doubt it. I won't believe it unless I stick my fingers through his hands, unless I put my hand in, the, in his side, unless I, you give me evidence, I won't believe it. Thomas, this guy, he's, this is what he says, let's go, we may die with him. Think about all the miracles Thomas had saw up to this point. He has seen Jesus walk on water. He has seen Jesus multiply food. Jesus turn to water into wine. He has seen Jesus heal the sick. But he doesn't trust Jesus to protect him. 
Let's go. Let's go. We're going to die with him. Thomas is at death's door. And you know what he's doing? He's dying in his doubts. Have you ever been there? At death's door where your doubts are so screaming at you so loud that you feel like you're dying? See, doubts aren't something we talk about in church, but we all have it. Like, what if we're making this whole thing up? What if God isn't real? What if this is all just this fairy tale story just to make us feel better? Because my life, my experience in life doesn't seem to be matching up with all the Sunday school things that I was taught as a kid. Life happens. People walk away from their faith for a reason. And one of the biggest things is this, doubts. They're at the death door of doubts. So let's just confession time here for a little minute. My hand will be the first one up. How many of you have ever had doubts about your faith? Doubts. Yeah. Almost every hand in the room. If you didn't raise your hand, I, I, man, you can just sit there and polish your halo. I am so proud of you. You've never had a doubt. That is amazing. I mean, you must, did you get saved yesterday? That's awesome. I'm so proud of you. I've had doubts. I've wondered. <laughs> My mind, whoo. You just need to live in a world that tells you oh, this is all fake and phony, and you'll ask yourself, is there really evidence for this? Thomas is dying in doubts. He speaks up three times every time his doubts. But let me tell you the rest of Thomas' story that's not recorded in the Scriptures. Church history tells us that Thomas became such a bold evangelist that he got in a boat and he sailed for months to get to this place called India. He was the missionary, the first missionary to India, and India exploded in Christianity. He established seven churches there, but he began to create such an uproar that someone attacked him and speared him to death. He not only became a missionary, but a martyr for the faith. And you can go to India today and see a, a statue of Thomas because Thomas became so bold, the man who doubted to Jesus' face, the man whose faith so many times was dying at death's door, something changed so radically in Thomas that he became a missionary and a martyr. Could it be the very thing that he asked for happened? Could it be that he saw the resurrected Lord and he said, go ahead, stick your fingers in the holes. You want a proof? I'll give you proof. Because we see a radical transformation in Thomas. And what was it? He experienced the resurrected Jesus Christ. He was never the same. So I just want you to know, if you're here and you feel like you're dying in doubts, there is hope for you today. Your faith does not have to die. You are not alone because you have doubts. Everybody has doubts. But somehow, some way, I need you to push past that and have an experience with Jesus. Because you know what? It doesn't, it's not like he makes the doubts go away but it's like they're minimized. Let me give you an example. When I put a ring on Diane Tullis' finger and I said, I want to I spend the rest of my life with you. When it got time, <laughs> I'm standing there in my white tux, about to go out and get married. All of a sudden, I'm like, am I doing the right thing? Why are my feet so cold? I had doubts. You know, I have all kinds of questions about marriage. All kinds of doubts. And sometimes they were huge. But then once I experienced this amazing person, I said, I want to give, you my, I want to give my life to you. It wasn't like the doubts went away. They just shrunk to the point where I could step over them. And God wants to do that in your life. Well, you may never have all the answers, but he wants you to have an experience with a person that will shrink the doubts to the point where you can get over it. <laughs> you can get through it. Doubts are real. You're not alone. 
But today, God wants you to experience a resurrection, just like Thomas did. All right, next character that we want to look at, her name was Mary. Listen to this in verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. This is real. These are real embarrassing details. Jesus shows up. Mary goes out to meet him. Martha goes out to meet him, and Mary's like, eh, I'm good. We can identify with this. Have you ever been so discouraged that you just stayed at home? You ever been so discouraged on Sunday morning? <laughs> okay, well, I know this is getting too detailed, but man, you're hungover from the night before. You're embarrassed about what you did the night before church. Stuff is going on in your life, happening in your life. You're so discouraged. You're so discouraged that it's time to go to church and now nah, I'll just stay at home. Discouraged. Mary is here and she can identify with you. She was at death's door. She was dying in her discouragement. See, Jesus was supposed to fix this. Jesus was supposed to show up and heal Lazarus and he didn't. Said he waited where he was for two days. Mary is so discouraged that Jesus shows up and she won't even get out of her chair. Again, I don't know if you're there right now, but I've been there. I've been so discouraged. What's the point? Why even try? Why even bother? Mary is here and she's dying in discouragement at death's door, but something happens in Mary. You know how I can tell you that something happened in Mary? Because in the next chapter, Mary has her famous moment that we're going to talk about next week. She goes into her room and gets perfume that's valued at thousands and thousands of dollars, and she pours it on Jesus. It's what she becomes famous for. Mary, the person who wouldn't even bother to get out of her chair when Jesus shows up, now gives everything to Jesus in the next chapter. What happened to Mary? Could it be that she experienced the resurrection at death's door? She was dying in her discouragement. So I want you to know, if you're here today, life has beat you. Life has chewed you up and spit you out. You are so discouraged, it was all you could do to come to church today. You feel like you are dying at the discouragement. You're at the death door of discouragement. You are not alone. And today, you can experience the resurrection and the life. Today. So, let's go to our third character. We talked about Thomas. We talked about Mary. Now let's look at Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And we'll go back to this detail that we already talked about, but I want to revisit it in a little bit different context because there was a verse I didn't show you. Look what it says, verse 5. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Hmm. That brings an interesting context to it, doesn't it? Although he loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was. Hmm. That's a tension that's hard to wrestle with, isn't it? Mary, Martha calls it out. When she runs out to see Jesus, she's got something to say. You ever had a bone to pick with somebody? Oh, I'll give them a piece of my mind next time I see them. 
I don't know if Mary did the snap thing when she talked to Jesus. Probably not. But she had something to say to Jesus, and she, she pulled no punches. Look at what she says. Verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Look at what Martha says. If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. It's your fault. That's what Mary's saying. If you had just been here. Again, I know this is a hard conversation to have in church. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I think you can identify with these kind of conversations with God. God, where were you? Where were you when I was being abused as a child? Where were you when my marriage fell apart and my husband was cheating on me? Where were you when the sheriff showed up with the repossession papers? Where were you when my life was falling apart? If you had only been there, if you had only been there, Mary is being so honest with Jesus. I want you to know Jesus is not intimidated by your real, raw conversations. These are the kind of prayers that we feel like are unacceptable to bring to God. Martha was not apologetic. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. My brother would not have died. And she can identify with you. Have you ever been dying <laughs> In the delay, you've prayed, you've asked God for something, and he's not showing up. You're asking God to save your marriage. You're asking God to save your finances. You're asking God to repair a relationship, repair a relationship with a child you haven't talked to for years. You're asking God for the salvation of your spouse, and it's been years, and you're wondering, God, where are you? And your faith feels like it's dying at death's, the death door of delay. You've prayed. You've talked to God. You've asked him repeatedly, and it feels like you hear nothing. But here's what I want to encourage you with. God's delays are not God's denials. They're not. It seems like God always shows me things long before I need to know them. It seems like there's times when I pray, there's things I've been believing God for years, and I'm still wondering, God, what, what, is, what is this all about? Just because God isn't saying yes today doesn't mean he's saying no. God's delays are not God's denials. And I love the honesty for which Martha speaks to Jesus. But listen to how Jesus responds. Mary said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. See, up to verse 21, we've heard all the sad, depressing things. We've heard the doubt. We've heard the discouragement. We've heard about the delay. But now this is where you turn the page and a new thing begins to happen in verse 22. Look at this. This is what I was referencing early in our service. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. After her bold confrontation with Jesus, I'm guessing that after she said these words, she probably looked around like, who just said that? Lazarus is in the tomb. He's been there four days. And Martha has the boldness, the audacity to say, even now, even now, 
God will give you whatever you ask. As I said earlier in this service, I'm going to say it again today. There's some people in this room, there's some people watching online that need an even now moment with God. Where you are in an impossible situation, your back is up against the wall. <laughs> He's dead. But even now, I don't know why I still believe, but I still believe. Even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And I love how Jesus responds. He affirms what she says. Your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And I love how real the scriptures are. Martha, it's like she comes up for air. She realizes what she just said and realizes what Jesus just said, and she gives this response. I know. <laughs> I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You ever had an I know kind of response from somebody? You're telling them something they need to hear? Ah, I know. Hey, you know, God's on your side. Yeah, I know. Sure doesn't feel like it right now. Hey, God's going to get you through this. I know. It's like she's blowing it off. She's, she heard what Jesus said, but she's blowing I know. Yeah, everything's going to be all right in heaven, you know? That's why we have to be careful that we don't give people Band-Aid Christian answers, you know? Because that's, Martha's like, she's playing it off. Yeah, 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 I know. I know, I know. In heaven, everything's going to be all right, blah, 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 blah. But right now, I'm hurting. Right now, I'm hurting. Jesus gets a little more intense in, his, in the words that he uses with Martha. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't say to her, oh, I'll talk to God about it. She didn't, he didn't say, I'll access this power of resurrection. I'll access this power of life. No, he says, I'll tell you about my identity. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus tells us that the resurrection is more than an event. It's a person. Jesus said, I am it. I am the resurrection and the life. I continue to try to show you evidence why I believe that the resurrection was an event, but it's more than that. It's a person. It's a person that I want you to encounter today, Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. If you feel like that you're, you're dying in your doubts, your faith is at the death door of doubt. Today, you need to have an experience with the person of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you feel like your faith is dying at the death door of discouragement, I challenge you today that you need to have an experience with, this, with the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. If today you feel like your faith is dying at the death door of delay, it's time for you to have an experience an encounter with the resurrection and the life. Because, I just, I just want to give you a little insight into the way God works. So I had prepared this sermon. I had put so much of this together. You know, I actually come in here on Saturday nights and I preach this whole thing to an empty crowd. You guys are a little bit more lively than they are last night. So I appreciate that. But then, God gave me something this morning. As I was reading the word. From Psalms chapter 107, listen to this. It's talking about people who are in distress. Lord, help them, they cried in their trouble. 
Some sat in darkness and deepest gloom, in prison and chains of misery. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He led them from the darkest and deepest gloom. He snapped their chains. But here's the part that jumped off the page to me. And they were knocking on death's door. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, snatching them from the door of death. That's what the resurrection and the life does. He does things like snatching you from the door of death. And here's the rest of the story that you have to hear. Verse 38, it says that Jesus was deeply moved when he came to the tomb. In fact, in verse 35, it says that he wept. Shortest verse in all the Bible, two words, Jesus wept. The only other time we see Jesus cry is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is so important that you see this. Jesus knows exactly what he's about to do. He knows he's going to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. He's going to fix everything. But he still cries. Why? Because he was deeply moved by the hurt and the pain that he was surrounded by. Don't ever think that God isn't moved by your pain. Jesus, who came to show us who God was, was moved by the hurt and the pain of the people around him. He wept. In fact, he says he was deeply moved, deep within his emotions when he looked around and saw the hurt and the pain. He knew he was about to fix it, but he was still deeply moved. This week I read on Facebook where another pastor committed suicide this week. I was, I was deeply moved when I read the story. But you know what else made me weep? The responses of other people to this tragedy. My heart was so grieving. and I saw them on both extremes. I saw the extreme over here where it was just Band-Aid Christian answers like, oh, he's in a better place and it, you know, things are going to be all right and these kind of Band-Aid Christian answers. But then I saw on the other side, I saw a discussion thread with pastors judging. Oh, he should have never been in public ministry if he was struggling that much and blah, 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 blah. It, it ripped my heart out to know that a pastor struggled so deeply with depression and he didn't have the support system around him to keep him from taking this devastating act. I believe, just like Jesus was deeply moved in this situation, Jesus is deeply moved by your hurt and by your pain. We don't serve a God who doesn't care. He's deeply moved by our pain. But as I said... Even though Jesus took a moment to cry, then he takes charge. Take away the stone. See, at that time, they put, they put the dead bodies in caves, and there was a big circular stone that they would roll in front of it. And he says, take it away. This is crazy talk. It's like you and I walking through a cemetery, and I get stop at a tomb, and I go, dig it up. You're like, um... Have you not taken your medication today? Like, what's happening? Get the shovel out, dig it up, dig up the casket. That's what's happening. And that's how Martha responds when he says, take away the stone. But Lord, <laughs> by this time, there's a bad odor. 
You know how the King James says it? He stinketh. He stinketh. They, see, they didn't have them in the embalming procedures that we have today. They just wrapped them up like a mummy and they put them, they put them in this basically rock box. And the crazy thing was, I don't understand this, but it was, it's true. There was this superstition at that time that somehow the, bot, the, the spirit of the, of the person who died hung around the body for three days. Like there was somehow a chance that in those first three days they might just wake up and come back to life. I don't know why it was so significant. Day four, no, it's, hope is all gone. You know, you guys ever remember the Princess Bride? No, never you do. He was mostly dead, apparently, up to that point. But see, the body had, was decomposing at this point. That's the odor that she's talking about. No, 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 Lord. Don't go there. It stinks. Whoa. Ever had a part of your life God wanted to get into? You're like, no, 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 Lord. Don't go there. Okay, none of you have. That's okay. Take away this. And then Mary says, then look at what Jesus says to Martha. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Everyone that today thought Jesus had lost his mind. Roll the stone away. And then he calls out in a loud voice. Why did he call out in a loud voice? Because this was not a prayer. This was not a request. This was not a God, if you get around to it. It was a command. The resurrection and the life was staring directly into the face of death. He said, Lazarus, come out. It was a command. Jesus was speaking life over dead places. And today, there's some people in this room, the God of the universe is speaking life over the dead places of your life. He's speaking life over dead relationships. He's speaking life over dead finances. He is speaking life over dead places. That's all I got. I love that. The pastor looked like a broken man. I had to say something. If you've heard the story, you know what happens next. If you haven't heard the story, you're probably on the edge of your seat. What happens? I love how understated the gospels are. Look at this next line. And the dead man came out. <laughs> it's just like, oh, no big deal. And the dead man came out. But look at the rest of this. This is something God showed me this week. It's crazy. His hands and feet bound in grave clothes. His face wrapped in a head cloth. So if you, however you picture a mummy, that's basically what's going on here. His hands, his feet are tied with strips of cloth. So imagine how crazy this is. Jesus says, roll the stone away. Lazarus, come out. <laughs> this mummy comes hopping out of the tomb. But check this out. It's so crazy. I've never seen this in this story before. Jesus spoke life into a dead man, but he's still bound. The dead man came to life, but he's still bound. 
If you gave your life to Christ and thought how some, something was magically going to be all better the next week, you quickly had a hardcore realization, didn't you? Because here's what I want you to see. When you give your life to Christ, he changes your identity in an instant. His word is true. When he says you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, it's all true. When he says the old is gone, the new has come, it's all true. He's changed your identity in a moment, in an instant. But your character takes a lot of time to change, doesn't it? You got an old lot, old lot of habits to change. You got an awful lot of old ways of thinking that need to change. You got an old, awful lot of old people that you used to hang out with. Your life changes over time. That you can be brought from death to life and still be bound. He's bound. But look, check this out. Look at what, look what next happens in this next verse. Jesus told him, free him and let him go. I love this. Do you realize Jesus did not roll away the stone? He asked other people to do it. Jesus commanded life into the dead man because nobody else could do that. But then the things that people could do, he let them do it. Take, let him go. Free him. Take that mummy stuff off of him. Jesus could have ripped it off himself, but he didn't. He asked other people to do it. Why is that significant? Because do you know the key to your freedom sits right next to you? The key to your freedom is in relationships. The key to your freedom is empowering other people to loose you and set you free. Because people can see what you're bound by and you can't even see it yourself. You're bound. And you're like, why is it so hard for me to walk? Why can't I run? And people are like, well, you just got to take this off. Let me help you. You got to let other people in. So if you're tired of hearing the commercials, too bad, you're going to hear it again. That's why you got to be plugged into a community group. It's an environment that we have provided for you to have other people speak into your life. I'm already hearing good reports from our Thursday night groups that met this week, our Saturday night groups that we're meeting tonight. If you've not signed up, this could be a key to your freedom that you're missing out on. Because you won't allow other people to speak into your life. Because you're like, oh, well, I just need Jesus. <laughs> Jesus spoke life into the dead man. But he was still bound. Jesus asked other people to set him free. All right, let's move on. Let's recap. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen to the last part. This is the last part we're going to talk about today. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Here's the last words that you need to hear today that Jesus spoke to Martha do you believe this? Here's the decision. Here's the part that I leave you with. And everything that I've said today, these are four powerful words. Do you believe this? Do you believe that the resurrection and the life can save you from the death door of doubts? Do you believe that Jesus, the resurrection and the life, can save you from the death door of discouragement? Do you believe that Jesus, the resurrection and the life, can save you from the death door of depression and delay? Do you believe this? Because that is the key that will unlock the door to the breakthrough. You need an experience today with the resurrection and life, with the person of Jesus Christ. Will you 
bow your knee to him. Because the other analogy with a door that I love, that I keep repeating is, Jesus says, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. He will not kick it down. He'll wait for you. Will you open the door? Would you stand with me? Would you close your eyes? We're going to pray and we're going to talk to God for just a minute. And let me ask you, you've never crossed the line of faith. Today's your opportunity. If what I was talking about, it seemed foreign, it seemed odd to you, but there was something about it that it just stirred deep within your spirit, you're like, oh, I want that. I need that. If you've never crossed the line of faith, you've never once given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity today. Romans tells us, That if we put our faith in Jesus, that if we believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, there's importance in putting your faith in that resurrection. That we will be saved. Is there someone here today that you need saving? And you're just willing to admit it. Maybe you've never prayed this prayer before. Maybe you did a long time, but you feel like you've, stripped, you've fallen away. But today, you need to leave this place today knowing that you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. You want to cross the line of faith. If that's you, I'm going to pray with you, but this is what I'm asking you to do. There's something about when we have a physical response on the outside, responding to what God's doing on the inside is powerful. If you'd like to receive God's forgiveness for all of your sins, if you'd like to know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, He offers you that grace and that mercy today as a gift he paid for your sins on the cross. He proved he was more powerful than death when he came to life three days later. So, if you'd like to receive that gift, if you'd like to give your life to Jesus Christ, would you put your hands out in front of you like you're receiving a gift? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for every person right now in this moment that's putting your faith, their faith in you. So we're going to pray a prayer. There's nothing special about the words that I'm using. I just want to guide you in it. So we're going to pray together. I'm going to ask everybody in the room if you'd be willing to pray this prayer with me out loud. The words don't matter as so much as it's just an expression of your faith. And the Bible says you mean these words, you cross the line of faith. Would you pray with me right now? Say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I put my faith in you. I believe that you lived. I believe that you died. And I believe that you rose again. I ask you for the gift of grace. I thank you for your forgiveness. And I receive it right now by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here's what I want you to know. When you accept that gift, God's word tells us he writes your name in a book. He writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. You've crossed the line of faith. There's a transaction that's taking place. The Bible says that he takes all of your sins and he throws them into the sea of forgetfulness, never to bring them up again. So here's what we're going to do in the next few minutes. We're, we're going to sing a song about how God was there in the fire. 
This is specifically talking about an Old Testament story where three men were thrown into a fire. But a king looks in and he sees a fourth one there. And it looks like the Son of God. So now for in, in this moment, I want to speak to you. If you said that earlier, yeah, <laughs> I'm dying in discouragement. I'm dying in depression. I'm dying in doubts. I'm dying in the delay. If that's you right now, I'm just going to ask you, would you just close your eyes and just sing this song with us? Because there's something powerful we're going to sing together. And I believe God's going to bring breakthrough. And again, if you need a breakthrough in your life, you need a healing. You need a financial miracle. You need a relational miracle. You need God to show up in a miraculous way. There's something that's dying, and you need the resurrection and the life. I'm going to ask you for these next few minutes as we sing this song, would you just allow God to speak into your life? Let's worship together. Sing, there's a grace. There's a grace when the heart is on.